0: Good morning, Northview. So glad uh, you could all be with us this morning, uh, whether it's here in person or online. And uh, as we get started this this morning, I don't know about all of you, but uh, I know last year about Christmas time, um, our house was one of the few houses on our street that had Christmas lights all decked out. And uh, this year, we're not even a week into December yet, and it seems like every house in every neighborhood has a ton of lights on it already, which is which is super fun. Um, we were going for a walk last night in the dark, you know, looking at all the all the lights in our neighborhood, and um, I I do think as we enter the Christmas season, it's a it's it's a really beautiful picture to. Um as you look at these christmas lights it 's a great picture of, of when of Christmas when Jesus came to earth, the light of the world stepping down into darkness and it's, and it 's just beautiful to see at night when the, the Christmas lights are lighting up the darkness um, you know it 's a great picture also of our, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, um, the light of the world coming down to earth uh, to, to save to save uh, us from our from our sins and so um, just I'd encourage you to think about that uh, as, you're, as you look at the Christmas lights when you 're driving around or walking around uh, this Christmas season so um, let's go ahead and get started this morning. Let's stand together in and, and worship this morning. Praise the
1: Lord, His mercy is more, stronger than darkness, new. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. One love could remember no wrongs we have done, omniscient, on oh, no. His blood was the payment, his life was the cost. We stood neath the dead, we could never afford. No brighter star Has ever shined No better hope For all mankind No higher mind No now one No one has ever Known This kind of Love you've shown There has never love than your son no not one there will never be a name above no not one with his life you have forgiven us hope has come hope has come simple word can match your name. No greater faith, no not one. No one has ever seen the depth of your majesty. There has never been a greater love than your Son. Hope has come, hope has come There will never be a greater love No now, no No greater call You gave us all a reason to live No Gave us all a reason to give no greater life You gave us all a reason to shine no greater life. There will never be a name above, no, not one. With his life you have forgiven us. Hope has come, hope has come. And there will never be a greater love, no, not one. Oh. There Then your son no not one there will never be a name above no not one with his life you have forgiven us hope has come hope has come there will never be a greater love no not till the Son of God our spirits by thine adventure, disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight rejoice Oh Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel.
0: Dear Lord, we are so thankful to be gathered in your presence this morning and to worship you and bring glory to your name, Lord. Just ask that you prepare our hearts this morning to receive the message that you would have for us and open our hearts to see you uh, coming to earth, Lord, uh, as a baby in a manger as we enter this Christmas season and to celebrate that and to glorify you in that. In your name, amen.
2: Well, good morning. And dare we even say, Merry Christmas, everybody! Oh, it is so good to see you here. Uh, We're a little more festive even since last week. Huge shout out to the team that just poured endless time and energy into this this past week. It looks absolutely amazing. Well, Christmas is here, and we want to invite you uh, starting this morning. Whether you're here in person or online. Uh, We're going to hit pause on the series of Philippians that Pastor Steve has been walking us through. And we're going to enter fully into the Christmas season. We're going to talk about what is this idea of, of a thrill of hope. And I think we could all agree that this year is a year that people are looking for something to put their hope in. What a great time to be able to step aside, focus on the Word, and learn a little bit more about Jesus this Christmas season. We also want to invite you uh, on Christmas Eve at three and five o'clock to join us to invite people, um, whether it's here or just share online how they can log in and view on Facebook and YouTube. We just want to share the name of Jesus with people this season. Uh, And then it's crazy as we As we head through Christmas and into the new year, there's already something that is on our radar. Uh, For the last while, we've had small groups in our church supporting uh, Youth for Christ up on Casino Road once a month, uh, gathering a group to, before March, go actually take and serve a meal to about 70 students uh, that are in low-income areas. And for many of these students, uh, this is the, the only real quality meal that they will get that whole day. And so this organization works with other ministries and churches to be able to provide meals uh, for students. We're still serving them. It looks a little bit different Instead, for this year. Instead of going there and serving in person, we prepare meals uh, once a month and we go and deliver it and then their staff takes it from there and is able to still give the kids uh, meals. And there's still time in 21, uh, for the first half of the year, there's four months that are still available to sign up. And one of the reasons I want to let you know about this is You'll see in a moment, you guys are incredible at serving other people. We're going to talk about step-by-step from yesterday in just one moment. Uh, But the other thing is, this is a great activity if you want to call that service opportunity for either your family or your community group to be able to sign up and say hey let's meet up let's prepare 70 meals and let's go take it up there now all of the information that you could need or to be able to sign up is on the website so if you head to enview.org you'll be able to see for our go projects the YFC meals and you'll be able to sign up i want to encourage you talk to your family talk to your community group just grab a group of friends and sign up for one of the months coming up and make sure that we can give these kids something especially during a year like this where things are already crazy we can at least we can do is give some kids a meal now if you uh, have tithe or offering and you're here in person there's boxes in the back if you're online or would rather do it digitally you can head on to the website and do that Um, and here's what we're going to do in just a moment i'm going to pray for offering We're going to give glory to God through that. Uh, And then we have a little video. Yesterday, we hosted Step by Step. It was a little bit different. It wasn't in here in the building with a big turkey dinner and stuff in every room. Uh, We filled the parking lot. There was a line of cars. They drove through. We were able to bless them and give them things for Christmas and just all sorts of stuff. Uh, We were able to put together a little video for that, and I want to be able to show that to you guys so you can see what went on. Once the video is done, if you are a middle school student, 6th, 7th, or 8th grade, I invite you. Zeb going to lead the charge out there, and you can head with him upstairs, and Steve will come up at that time. But let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, thank you for the way that this church body gives. And it's moments like yesterday, Lord, being able to help people that we don't know and will probably never meet, that just reminds me of what a church body is supposed to be all about. Thank you for their generosity and obedience in so many ways, Lord, whether it was giving financial gifts yesterday or giving gift boxes for families or showing up to to help cheer and wave and hand out things. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this group. We pray for the offering that's given this morning, Lord. May we be wise in our discernment of how to use it and may it impact the Mill Creek, Everett, Bothell area for your kingdom. Be with us this morning, Lord, in your son's name. Amen. Take a look at this.
3: And we are so thankful for the day we had yesterday. What a day of weather, huh? Can you imagine if that had been pouring rain? (laughs) It worked out great. So that was fantastic. Thanks for everybody who gave, served. Can we give my wife a hand for putting that together? Yes! Yeah, there you go. All right. Hey, we got a lot of good news. Yesterday was spectacular. It was really a lot of fun. Amazing. We were done at uh, 10 to 4 which is usually when we're just starting to rev up, right? It was the weirdest feeling, so I'm still feeling rather out of sync with the whole thing, but uh, lots of fun. Uh, and then the big announcements, the Hardaways made it to Papua New Guinea safe, and they're there, so that's absolutely fantastic. We celebrate that. They're in their quarantine house right now, and they've knocked that out, and then they'll end up um, where they're going to be, so that's exciting. Uh, Luns are still in COVID protocol. Uh, I laughed with him this week. I said, first, you couldn't find a house, now you you now you can't get out of it, right? So, <laughs> but they should be with us next Sunday. So we're hoping to say hi to them and bless them and have them be here. So James and Sarah, if you're watching online, good morning, glad to see you. And uh, so that's good. And then this morning, uh, I'm wearing a tie, right? Bob and I are the Banzini brothers together. We're dressed up and uh, we'll be uh, doing communion this morning. So if you're at home and watching, please get the elements ready and be ready when we get to the end of the service Uh, we'll be sharing in community this morning. Uh, Communion this morning, and community. There we go. Well, as we come to the series, do you love this backdrop? Does this look good or what? Man, it's exciting, yeah. Um, Never has a series title seemed more appropriate uh, than the one that we chose for this Christmas, The Thrill of Hope, A Weary World Rejoices. Doesn't that kind of encapsulate the whole nine yards of what we're going through at the moment? And um, we're going to be looking at Uh, A number of these things together. But let's begin by praying, all right? Let's seek the Lord this morning. Father, when it comes to hope, uh, there's a lot of places the world turns to and a lot of people really get disappointed. Lord, we seek you. We seek you for the hope only you can bring. Lord, may it be in the message, be in the relationships, whether here or people watching at home. Lord, we seek you uh, that this season people would find hope in you. We pray that this series and this message uh, w- w- that we go through will also do the same. Uh, but Lord, really, it's from you. Give us hope no matter what the circumstances are. And we ask this in your name. Amen. All right. Well, let's begin by looking at uh, these two words together. Hebrews one or Hebrews 11, 1 and 2 tells us about hope. It says this, Now, faith is the assurance of things, what? Hoped for. In other words, faith and hope are kind of like twin cousins together. They always hang out together. And uh, it says, The conviction of not seeing. for by it the people of old received their commendation. And of course, there in Hebrews 11, is it's talking about Abraham, right? It says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Romans 5, 2 says this, Through him, that means Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith, there's that word again, by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. In other words, that in the end, God will make all things right and God will come through. Uh, The thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. Let's look at faith for a second, some definitions, just in case you, you ever use those words and you say, what does that mean? And you try to define it and it's like, ah, right? Like somebody says, what does sanctification mean? Uh, I don't know. All right, well, faith is putting your hope and trust into something or someone. In other words, uh, you don't just have faith in faith, but you're placing your faith in something or in someone. Uh, we used the illustration last week that you're sitting in the chair you're sitting or at home and uh, you have faith that that will hold you up, right? That's a very simple illustration. Obviously, faith in God is a lot deeper than that. Then hope is a feeling that one a feeling that what one desires, expects, or has been promised will happen. And we're going to focus on that and what has been promised part in this Christmas series. Weary means experiencing tiredness or fatigue. I don't think we have to define that one too much, right? We kind of know that one. Uh, Usually this is expressed as, uh, when you're talking about weariness, usually weariness comes from the factor that this it has lasted a lot longer and is a lot harder than I had expected right that's that's when you get weary is when it's stretched farther away. Uh, one of the uh, il- there's thousands of illustrations but one of the interesting illustrations is the Civil War, and uh, we forget because it's in our past and in our history and it happened a long time ago. But they did not, when the Civil War first broke out, they did not expect it to last very long. They thought it would be a battle or two, it'd be over and it'd be done. Matter of fact, in Manassas, if you want to look this up, they actually went out and people went out with carriages and picnic baskets to sit on the hill and to watch the battle. Self, right? Uh, But because they, they didn't think it would be that long and obviously the Civil War turned into a much more grueling uh, episode and length than anybody would have thought. This has been true of history. Uh, there have been many great eras of weariness in history. Uh, this could be true for us right now in our own personal experience, the kind of, I never dreamed we'd still be in the thick of this whole COVID election mess. Can we just shelve this stuff and get it behind us and it's just not going away, Right? That's all part of what we're experiencing right now. So this Christmas season, we're going to um, uh, take a look at the hope of Christmas that provides for four entities. And uh, so this morning, we're going to look at Christmas as hope for the Jews. I really appreciated the last song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, that we sang because it's going to capture what we're going to walk through this morning. Then we're going to look at hope for the Gentiles. Then we're going to look at hope for the church. And then on Christmas Eve, we're going to look at hope for the future, all right? So that's the series that we're going to be going through um, as we walk through the this Christmas series. So our beginning point this morning, and the most obvious fact of Christmas, is that Christmas was meant to give hope for the Jews. Have you thought about that at all? Does that ever enter into your thinking? Uh, we kind of glitz right by that, right? Because of our... Our Christian context, this is just so easily overlooked. Uh, We can easily forget that Jesus was a Jew. We can forget that he was born to Jewish parents. We can forget that uh, he was born in a Jewish country, right? Israel, in a Jewish town, Bethlehem, that he was the Messiah that they've been waiting for for 2,000 years, that he came to bring hope for the Jews. And because we know the end of the story, we kind of just forget, and with two thousand years of history, we kind of forget that Jesus actually came for His own people. Uh, that it's kind of one of those blips, and we blow right by it and move on. I want to look. I want to stop that blip this morning, right? And lock on this for a second. There's uh, the Jews is a tragic history. Weariness would be an apt description of their time on earth. They have been a most dominated people. I put together. I was looking and. If you look on the screen, here's uh, the seven major um, empires that they have been dominated by. Remember Egypt? Of course, we know that story well. They were there for 400 years. It started out well with Joseph, and then there arose a pharaoh who knew not Joseph, and it went very badly for them. And of course, the end of that was Moses and the exodus and coming out, but they were completely dominated there in their time in Egypt. Assyria was ruthless and actually took out northern Israel, and as a nation, they ended up ceasing to exist because they were Assyria was so ruthless and how they plundered them Babylon Nebuchadnezzar came, and uh, we 're going to talk about that in a second and and took out the nation, the southern half uh, media Persia that's Cyrus, and that whole gang. we know the stories of uh, in the Old Testament there with Esther and all that, that was all during that reign, right? Then you have Greece, Alexander the Great came and uh, dominated them. Then, of course, Rome, right? With Jesus and the birth of Jesus, uh, the reigning power. And then the Ottoman Turks, which um, were after uh, Jesus and after and dominated for 400 years and owned Jerusalem and much of like the Dome on the Rock and all the things we wrestle with today came out of that era. If you add to this the uh, death camps in Nazi Germany and the pogroms in Soviet Russia, it hasn't been fun or easy to be a Jew through history. On top of that, they have shot themselves in the foot on numerous occasions. We can be encouraged. We aren't the only ones as the church to do that. Right? In the era of the judges, they were a compromised mess. In the era of Saul, they were an internalized mess. In the era of Rehoboam, they were a divided mess. In the era of the Assyrians and Babylonians, they were an exiled mess. And in the era of Jesus, they were a religious, political mess. In other words, you can just see and read those stories and watch how they just kind of internally imploded on themselves and became their own worst enemies. If you consider uh, the reign of Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar when that was going on, they, Israel, were literally so steeped in idolatry that God allowed their nation, but more importantly, their temple to be destroyed. And we don't have a, we don't have a category for this because there's nothing like this for us. Um, maybe the Twin Towers going down on 9-11 would be somewhat close to uh, that experience. But uh, for Israel, they knew that they could be plundered or raided or that, but, but they never felt like the temple could be destroyed. The temple was God's place. God, the temple had God's name in it. God's presence dwelt there. And so even if Jerusalem were sacked, the temple would exist and God would fight from the temple to rescue his people. And he would protect it just like he protected the Ark of the Covenant. And so there was this, this idea, this uh, thinking, not just among the Jews, But also all the nations surrounding the Jews felt this way as well. And that's why it records when the Babylonians went into the temple, they had all their spears and they went in with their spears raised up because they were ready to fight the presence of God coming down upon them. And so the other nations were stunned and the Jews were shocked when the temple got destroyed and annihilated. Consider Rome. By missing Jesus as their Messiah, they once again had their nation and their temple around. In 70 AD, Titus, with his Roman legions, laid laid siege to Jerusalem and uh, destroyed it. And ironically, we would say prophetically, that um, both temples were destroyed on the same day. Did you know that? The 9th of Av. It's considered the darkest... Day on the Jewish calendar, the 9th of Av, both Nebuchadnezzar and Titus destroyed the temple on the same day. The temple that had taken 46 years to build and was considered one of the wonders of the world was leveled so that not one stone was left upon another as predicted by Jesus. And worse, what came out of this is that they, the Jews, would be labeled with one of the most terrible monikers ever attached to any group in all of history. At the trial of Jesus, they cried out to Pilate, let his blood be upon us and our children. And it was, and still is, one of the most chilling and frightful statements that is recorded in the Bible. They had no idea what that vow was invoking. The moniker that I was talking about, they would now be known as the Christ killers. And would be hunted, exiled, and persecuted down through the ages of history. The Holocaust being the worst, but not the last of these episodes. So then, and that's kind of a dark picture, right? Okay. So then the question is, okay, in what sense then did Jesus' coming uh, speak hope to his chosen people? And Jesus spoke it quite plainly. He said, I've come, uh, I have come for the lost sheep of Israel. But when you think about this implosion, right, you think about all these things, and then you think about when Jesus Himself came and they miss that too. Uh, you know, the question is, is there really any chance for them? Is there is there really any way for them to dig themselves out of the ditch that they've dug themselves into? You ever dig yourself into a ditch? Right? Yeah, some of you are laughing, right? I can see behind your mouth, oh yeah, got it. Right? And you're going, Man, I've blown it. There's just no way. Not even God's going to be able to forgive this one, right? And that's kind of where where they're at at this point, okay? And in reality, in full disclosure, the church really didn't think so. If you you read church history, if you go through and study it, um, the dominant theological idea over the last 2,000 years with the church has been a theology called replacement theology, and then theology goes something like this, that God's promises were to Abraham and for the Jewish people. And when Jesus came and they rejected Jesus, then Jesus created a new work called the church. And the church became the inheritor or the keeper of all the promises that had one time been placed for the Jews were now for the church. And there is some... Right? God has worked through the church in miraculous ways through history. But where the skip was made is that uh, the idea that God was done with Israel, that God was done with the Jews, and that everything, all the blessings and promises, were now reapplied and meant for the church, the body of Christ, okay? his bride. A great damage came from this idea, but the running paradigm really was, what difference does it really make? God is done with them, God is done with the Jews. And then came May 1948. Remember May 1948? It's when Israel became a nation again. One of the most amazing miracles in history took shape when Israel became a nation on that month. They were scattered across the faith of the earth in what is known as the Great Dispersion, and now they were regathering once again in the Promised Land for the first time in 1,900 years. Nobody would have thought it possible. If you read any of the literature uh, around 1900 before, Israel was dust, right? A dispersed, neglected people. We are the church are God's elect, but they are his chosen people. Not only are they his chosen, but they are an amazing people. They are called the apple of God's eye in Zechariah 2.8. And this title confers the idea that God has his eye on Israel in a very special way. Uh, An article, I found an article in a Christian magazine called The Herald. And uh, I apologize, I forgot to write the date down when that was. Uh, But it points out the staggering contributions that Israel has made to the world. And it highlights the fact that the humanitarian spirit that's found uh, within Israel that uh, is displayed by them is largely influenced by the Mosaic Law, right? The first five books of the Bible uh, that we we're familiar with, and that has been their generation for many heritage for for many generations. Uh, Put in this perspective to look at their impact. Let's just look at one, one item: the the Nobel Prize, right? Most of us are aware of the Nobel Prize. If you're not, the Nobel Prize is the most prestigious international award given to people who have made important contributions in the areas of chemistry, economics, literature, peace, physics, and medicine. All right, so consider this. Between 1901 and 2014, so just six years ago, 1901 to 2014, the Nobel Prize has been awarded to approximately 855 laureates. That's what they call somebody who receives it, is a laureate, all right? At least 194 of them, that's 23% of them, have been Jewish. Did you know that? It's an amazing statistic. Why is that amazing? What's astounding about this is that the Jews currently make up approximately only 0.2% of the world's population. And only one in every 500 is a Jewish person. The article goes on to list hundreds of innovations, discoveries, inventions, and leading technologies that are coming out of Israel right now today. They are on the cusp, the cutting edge of uh, incredible stuff. It's absolutely downright staggering that a nation this small, so if you say in regards to, in comparison to the nation, like compare Israel to the United States, Israel is 152nd in terms of size of nation, Right? So they're not one, two, three, four, ten. They're 152nd. Postage stamp. But that postage stamp is the apple of God's eyes. They have, um, it's amazing that a, a country that size can produce and sustain this type of technology and contributions to the world's scientific and humanitarian community. They have literally made the desert bloom. Uh, if you've ever gone on YouTube, just look at videos of um, the, is, what they've done in the desert, Israel. It's astounding. They have taken absolutely barren rock wasteland, and they have turned it into the breadbasket of the Middle East. It's an unbelievable story. God's hand is on them. But, and here's the key question for the morning, is there hope for them as a people? In a Christian sense, is there hope for them as a people to be reconciled to God as His chosen people after all this stuff that has happened? And the answer is yes. There is not just hope for them as a nation, but there's also hope for them for the kingdom. First, let's be very clear. They will need, both nationally and individually, uh, to confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, just like everybody else who wants to get into heaven. John 14, 6 makes this very clear. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. And that would be true for a Jewish person as well. So you can see the dilemma right here that they have. At this moment, only a very small fraction of uh, Jews claim Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They, as a matter of fact, are still waiting for the Messiah to come and are very resistant to the idea that Jesus is the Messiah. So then, what could possibly cause them to rethink that position? Right? Something's got to happen to trip it. What could do that? Paul, in the book of Romans, chapter 11, tells us that there's a mystery at work here that God is still in the process of working out. If you look at Romans, chapter 11, it says this Paul's talking to the church, to the Gentiles who've become believers who make up the church. He says this, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery. Brothers, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. The fullness of the Gentiles, that be us, right? You realize that's us, okay? You can giggle or chuckle at that, okay? In case you didn't know you were Gentile. That's, that's who we is, all right? And just as Israel, we, we're familiar with this idea. Remember when Israel was in Egypt, and they had to be in Egypt until the cup of the Amorites was full in the promised land? So God is now saying that uh, Israel experience, is experiencing a hardness or a blindness until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So this is a different kind of cup. This is the, the people in the world that will be designated to come to Christ and come to eternal life. And when that cup gets full, and by the way, we're part of that, just so you can make the connect in case you're not making it, part of us sacrificing, giving generously, gener- generously, say that word right, and, and sending the heart to Papua New Guinea is to what? help the uttermost parts of the earth hear the gospel. Right now in, in Papua New Guinea, there are 182 language groups that have never heard the gospel. And we've sent the Hardaways to be part of that so that part can hear. And that's part of filling that cup up. Early in chapter Paul, uh, Paul used the illustration of an olive tree. And he says, hey, don't get arrogant. Don't get cocky. Don't get caught up in yourselves because yeah, there's an olive tree and some native branches were broken off and then some wild branches got grafted in. You Gentiles are the, the wild branches that grafted in. If God wasn't willing to spare the natural branches, be careful, he might not spare the wild ones either. So the idea here is humility and fear before the Lord that we even had the chance to be grafted in. But God says, I'm going to re-graft in those wild branches. Romans 11, 28 says this, as regards to the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as regards to election, they are beloved for the sake of the forefathers. Uh, Paul here is talking, the forefathers are the patriarchs, right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, he's talking about them and speaking to Abraham, God said this, Genesis 17, he says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God for you and to be off and to be your offspring after you, and I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings and all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Paul here is also speaking of the promises God made to King David King David was also one of the patriarchs. God had told David that he would establish David's kingdom, that he would put all his enemies at rest with him, that he would never be without a man on the throne, and that the Messiah would come from his loins. And David is stunned. You can read this account in 2 Samuel 7 and also 1 Chronicles 17, but just a small slice of it reads like this. It says that when God promises to King David, King David went in and sat before the Lord And said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And this was a small thing in your eyes, O God. You have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come, and have shown me future generations, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you for honoring your servant? For you know your servant. And so what Paul's pointing out here to the Gentile church, again, that's us, is that God's promises for Israel are permanent. Uh Romans eleven twenty nine, as a matter of fact, we often quote this this verse. You're going, What's a Loman Romans eleven twenty nine? Well you see it up on the screen. It says, For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. You ever heard that quoted before? And usually when someone quotes that, uh, it's used in the sense that God has called me into ministry and it can't be taken away. Even if I've blown it, I still have the call on my life is kind of how that's used. But in actuality, when you look at the context of this, this verse is really about God's promises to the patriarchs and to Israel. God is not going to go back on the promises that he made to Abraham and David. God is a covenant-keeping, promise-keeping in God, amen, right? And that he is, what he has promised, he will fulfill, So let's go back and before we come to communion, by the way, uh, if we could begin to uh, distribute communion, oh, we don't have to, it's here. If you're at home, all right, would you get the elements and start setting up for communion? Thank you very much, okay? Let's go back and summarize the argument for the morning so far. God has made promises to Abraham and David that he will restore Israel. Israel, for the most part, does not accept the premise that Jesus is the Messiah. Without Jesus, they have no hope. So on what basis then does the coming of Jesus bring hope for the Jews? And as usual, Paul gives us a hint. What he says is that Israel has experienced a partial hearting, and that God himself is going to lift the veil. Look at Romans 11, verses 11 and 12. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. So as to make, and by the way, we're going to look at the Gentiles next Sunday um, because the, the promise is right here. But through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? What Paul is telling us here is that God is setting up the end game, God is really good at historical chess. He knows how to play the pieces. He knows all the players. He knows their hearts. He knows their motives. He will not be outmaneuvered. And so here Paul is saying in the grand scheme of history, God has lined this up. And, And God is going to do something with the church that will catch Israel, that will make Israel turn to Jesus as Lord and Savior, and that he will fully redeem Israel. Well, what could possibly make Israel jealous? And I want to suggest this morning that my answer is the rapture of the church. Think with me for just a second. We always think about the rapture in terms of the church, right? This is what Jesus is doing for the church. Have you ever thought of the rapture in terms of what that would speak to Israel? Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command. I love that term. Cry of command is a general calling out his armies. Move! Right? Right? The Lord will descend from heaven. This is Jesus himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. Boom! That'd make a great movie, wouldn't it? And the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord, and all God's people said, Amen. Won't that be awesome? Therefore, encourage one another with these words. These words are meant to encourage the church. But we've been so conditioned to think of the rapture in terms of its impact on and for the church, we've not considered that God may have a greater purpose in mind. We've not given much thought or considered what the impact of the rapture would be on or for Israel. And I would contend at least these two major points this morning as you think through Christmas And Jesus is coming for the Jews. Number one, here would be the impacts. Number one, God will have done something for the church that he has not done for Israel and thus make them jealous. Why did he do that for them? Right? They expect God to do miracles for their nation. Why did he do that for the church and not for us? And number two, Israel has now lost its major ally. The rapture would effectively, if you think about the rapture, would effectively gut the United States of America and thus leave Israel without any backing whatsoever in the Middle East. They now would, have no, they would now know that Jesus is the Messiah and they would have no choice but to turn to him for they're all alone. In other words, God will use the rapture to open their eyes and take away their blindness. And when that happens, they will turn to Jesus with great mourning and repentance because they will know they had it wrong. How do I know that? It's in Scripture. Zechariah prophesies about this event. He says this, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy. Pleas for mercy in other translations is the word supplications. I will pour out on David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and a spirit of supplication. So that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. What is that saying? They will see it. They will catch it. They will look and go, we missed him oh my goodness, and they will turn. You know, what's fascinating, he was right in front of them the whole time. He was right in front of them the whole time. Jesus came for hope for the Jews. It says they will look to him whom they have pierced, and he will be their hope. Let's do communion together. If you're at home, would you get the elements? If you're here, would you grab? I'm going to reach down and get mine. When you think about this bigger picture, it's really quite stunning what God has laid out. Not just for the church, but also for the Jews. It says, they will look on the one whom they have pierced. And that is actually a statement of hope. When they recognize him for who he was, they will weep as if they have lost their firstborn son. Where does that firstborn son comment come from? It goes all the way back to Egypt. Remember the angel of death killing the firstborn? And there was a ceremony called the Passover. And remember that they spread the blood on the mantle, and if that house had the blood on the mantle, then the angel of death passed by that house. They would know all these pictures. All these pictures are wrapped up in the Seder meal. We've done this with Phil before, and Wagner, when he's led us through the Seder meal, and all the symbolism locked in the Passover. All those things will start to go pop, 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 pop. Wow. And they will have hope, but in someone they had never anticipated. It will suddenly be placed in Jesus. You know, the Jews aren't the only ones who pierced Jesus, right? Our sin did as well the gentiles we're going to look at the gentiles next week but it was our sin our walking away from god that was every bit as much as they did and at communion jesus left us a picture and i think communion right now galvanizes us to say what are we looking at when we're looking at our culture right now when we're looking at we're looking at communion being a symbol for us jesus said what about this this is my body it will be what broken for you Likewise, we're probably are going to have to be willing to go through some breaking ourselves. Jesus said, that's okay. I'll be with you. I'm with you till the end of the age. You have great hope in me. He said, eat this in memory of me. And then he took the cup. This is a symbol of my blood, which will be shed for you on the cross for your sins. In other words, we're covered just like the mantle was covered and they were covered from the angel of death. So now we are covered eternally by the blood shed by Jesus on the cross. Our sins are remitted. That means they're wiped clean. They're wiped. They're gone. That's why the Bible says quit sinning. Stop. It's already covered. Let it go. Just like they were covered in the past, so now we're covered. Jesus says, you know what? I'm not going to drink of this until I come back. That's a statement of faith. That's a statement of hope. Drink this in memory of me. Ask Isaac and Haley to come back up. They lead us in worship, but let's pray before they do. Father, what we see, that hope for you is not condensed into just a moment or even a month or a season or a year or a decade or a generation, Lord, that hope is who you are and it's spread across the tapestry of history. And what that tells us right now, Lord, is that our hope needs to be locked in you and it needs to be anchored in you in spite of what we see going on in our culture That we need to lean in, not away. That we need to be moving towards you, not just stalled. And Lord, we need to anchor on our hope. That our faith would anchor with hope. And that we'd be unmovable towards you. Lord, I pray this morning and be an encouragement that as you could take a nation like Israel, and you're going to keep your promises for them. You are a promise-keeping covenant God. And God, you do not lie. That, you, that gives us great hope that you will be a covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God for us as well. And we rejoice in that and give that to you in great hope. And pray this in your name. Amen. Let's stand together. for the Jews. Next week we're going to look at hope for the Gentiles. What's the hope? The light is greater than the darkness. Light drives out the darkness. And that's the great hope. When you walk around like Isaac Haley, that was a wonderful, wonderful picture. Walk around and see Christmas lights. People are hanging them, one, because they got nothing to do. But two, everybody senses there's something up and lights are strung in hope the hope of the season. He's the reason for the season. Let people know about it. All right, let's pray. Father, may we be your light. May you work through us. May people see it. We pray for step by step that many come through and just say, what? Why would people do that? Why would people do that? Lord, we pray that for the Hardaway's in Papua New Guinea. Why would people send them? Why would people do that? Lord, and they would see you and they would place their hope in you. That's our great hope this Sunday morning. We ask for you to fulfill it in your name. And all God's people said, amen. All right, everyone, friends, family, thank you for viewing. And uh, gang, if we could go.